I wish Beth could get a song out, don't y'all? Some of you may not know that's my baby girl. I called her the other day and I said, Beth, I always call girl, it's a baby girl. I said, this is your daddy. I recognize you. I said, okay, keep up the good work. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and these guys will be glad to give you one. Take your Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. What is our acronym for 2012? FAT. Sure hope I come up with that. Jesus comes back before January 1st because I'll have to have an acronym team. Might not be fat. Come up with a new one. What does F stand for? Y'all not very excited. About it. Tired of hearing about it, aren't you? Faithful. And A, T, teachable. Faithful, available, teachable. Won't we spell it out? That'd be easy though, wouldn't it? All right. Faithful, available, and teachable. What we're going to do today is think about this idea of being faithful. Jesus Christ said, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. And the picture there in Greek, and particularly in that culture in which those words were spoken, which that was written, was the idea of finishing a race and finishing it well. Don't just start in the race, but finish it. I love the book of Hebrews for a lot of reasons, but there's so many great uh, Old Testament metaphors and pictures because the author is writing to Jewish believers and trying to get them to understand that your focus needs to be on the person of Jesus Christ, not on your tradition, not on your background, not on what you have known, but the reality of who your Savior is, what he has done, what he is doing, what he will do, who is your Jesus. Be faithful unto death, and that Jesus Jesus promises to give you the crown of life. And in that book, one of, the, one of the metaphors that's used is the metaphor of a race. Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. He initially puts us in the race. And the picture is in, in a track race, and I've never participated in one, but I've watched many. There's a starting line and a finish line, and it's, you go around in a circle, and it's the same thing. Jesus put you in the race. And when you get to the end of the race, he welcomes you home. So he says, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. And over the next few weeks, what I'm going to do is have us focus on getting beyond the machine that sometimes is church, under focusing on truth and being everything that God wants us to be individually and corporately as the church of Jesus Christ. I was reading a story this week about a family that was driving on vacation, and they were going through Tampa, Florida. And as they drove through Tampa, they, there were orange trees, just groves and groves of orange trees that they would pass. And they stopped for breakfast. And they went to the restaurant and they ordered breakfast. And the father ordered orange juice. And the girl said, I'm sorry, I can't give you any orange juice. And he said, it immediately hit me. We got, there aren't, we're surrounded by thousands and thousands of orange trees. I know you've got oranges in the, in the back because there are orange slices of garnishes on our plate. Why can't I have any orange juice? So he asked the girl, why can't I have any orange juice? She said, because our machine is broken. And it hit him that so many times Christians are like that. We focus on the machine and we miss the oranges. We focus on the machine and we miss the reality of who Jesus is and what he wants from me. He wants me to be faithful. What we're going to look at today is that he has a goal for me. As a believer, as a child of God, as a Christian, Jesus Christ has a goal for me. Look at Hebrews 6.1. Therefore... The writer of Hebrews says, Hebrews 6, 1, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection or maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Let us go on to maturity. We're going to look at Hebrews 6, 1 today. We're going to break it down, and we're going to see what exactly is the author talking about. Therefore, let us go on to maturity. You 
as a Christian. The assumption I'm making is that you're born again. If you're not a Christian, if you're checking out the things of Jesus Christ, I appreciate you being here. That's why we exist, so that Christians can grow and mature and that we individually and corporately can then share that Jesus Christ with our world. And if you're not a believer, if you're here and you're checking out the claims of Jesus Christ, I think you should do that. I think that's a good thing. And it's incumbent upon us as Christians, those of us who are born again, who do know Jesus as our Savior, to be not only excited about the fact we're saved, but to be able to articulate what that means in terms people can understand. Whoever you might be dialoguing with at that moment in time, they have a background, they have a belief system, they have a life history. They're wherever they are at this moment in time. Something has brought them to that point. And maybe it's your opportunity to express to them and share with them the gospel and what the gospel really means and what it can do. But to do that, you've got to realize what your goal is, and it's got to be important to you. Look at Hebrews 6.1 one more time. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to maturity. What you're going to see today as we look at these verses is a contrast that the writer makes between being a child and being an adult. I was reading a book, a part of a book by Tony Evans. He's an African-American pastor in Dallas, Texas, that I really love. I love to hear him speak. I've seen him speak in person twice, and the cat is mesmerizing. When he writes a book, it is really well written. One of, my, one of the best books I've ever written is a book he wrote on being free in Christ. It really helped me. And he, he, he's magnificent at teaching the Word of God, but the way he communicates is just brilliant. And he was talking about this passage. And he was talking about the idea of growing up. And he said, he's talking about babies. He said, if you see a baby playing in the dirt, what is your response? Well, that's just what babies do. He said, he said if you see a baby playing in the dirt, yeah, you know, may not like it, but it's not a big deal. Because you understand, quote, babies play in dirt. Babies try to eat dirt. Babies scrub themselves in dirt. Quote, dirt is a toy to a baby. He said, but if you see a 25-year-old guy playing in the dirt, and eating the dirt, and scrubbing himself with the dirt, what do you think? You think, that dude is crazy. 25-year-old men don't eat dirt. Now, I've seen some of the stuff my son eats, and I think it is dirt, but that, unless they're in the health food kick, and some of that stuff they eat is like dirt. 25-year-old men don't take dirt and play with it, unless they're football players, or rugby players, or they just got nothing better to do. By the time you're 25 years old, dirt should not be a toy to you. You should have what? grown out of that. So I want in your mind as we get, begin to walk through these verses is to understand a lot of Christians are that way. They're still playing in the dirt. Dirt is a toy to them. They're still struggling with the very elementary things of the faith. And as we're going to see in this passage today, God will say to them, by now you ought to be bigger than you ought to have grown up. If you're 25 years old and you're still eating dirt and you think dirt is a toy, there's a problem there. If you're an adult, you've been a Christian for any period of time at all, and you can't explain to someone how to get saved, there's a problem there. You can't find the books in the Bible. That might be a problem. If the very elementary things of faith is all you ever hear, all you ever think about, you don't, you're not into the Word of God at all, and you're not growing, God says that's not good enough. It doesn't mean you've got to come to Randy's class. That's not what I'm saying. But it does mean somewhere, somehow, if you're born again, you need to be growing. You need to be in the Word of God whether it's a home group, whether it's my class. Most of you can do it with your telephone, your Android, your smartphone, whatever those things are. I know for a fact you can get Bible on there. Some of you pretend like that's what you're doing on Sunday morning. 
A couple of years ago, we were, whatever, well, I don't know what it was, year and a half or so ago, and I was preaching, and I don't remember what time of year it was, and the University of Memphis had just fired Larry Porter, football coach. And I'm in the middle of the sermon, and some guy's sitting, I won't embarrass him, but now, but he was sitting back here, so he's not here now, so I won't. Don't look around. I thought, you! And in the middle of my sermon, I hear this guy go, yes! And I thought, all right, that guy, whoa, I got me an amen. Don't get that too much out here, y'all are cool. So afterwards, he comes up to me, and he's got his head, he's, man, I need to apologize <laughs> Because I mean, you know, that's where I went to school. It's my school, and I was glad. I don't dislike Larry Porter, but he needed to go. I mean, if you can't do something, you can't do it. They don't want me as football coach, example, because we just, woo, go long. That's the only play I know. Go long, dog. I hit you. You don't want me as your football coach. You don't want me working in the, There are a lot of things you don't want me doing. Anyway, he comes up to me and says, I'm so sorry. He said, I, he said, I really know exactly like I was following along, and I was, I was reading news. I, I apologize. That's all right, man. Time to grow up. If you're an adult, it should be important to you to grow in your faith. I still remember when I got saved at 16, and I didn't, and I didn't know much, and, and I'm crazy enough to, to talk about, Mary and I joke about it all the time, we Florida, I guess it was 1970, 71, we're down there in Florida at Panama City, and I think the place was still, Shipwreck Island, still there or not, but it was like a, it was a cool place to go. So we're 16 years old, and I'm down there, and I, you know, I'd been saved, like, I got saved in April, and this was June, so three months. And I'd, everybody came by, I'd, I'd, I'd want to talk to them. You know, I'm handing out tracts and talking to them. It was crazy. It was me and a couple other guys that just, we were crazy enough. I, I thought that's what I was supposed to do. I didn't know what I was talking about, but I did want to talk about it. And I began to realize as, I, in my, as a junior and senior in high school, especially in college, do you really believe this, Randy? If you believe it, you need to find out more about it. And Dr. Crichton, who's gone to be with the Lord now, helped so much. Founded South Bible College, came Crichton College, now it's called... His son and I, his sons were good friends. And Dr. Crichton, kind enough to allow me to attend, a, it was a men's Bible study taught on Monday night, Southern Avenue Baptist Church. It was for men. He let me go, and I learned so much listening and watching how much, not so much, he was teaching on Romans. And I remember uh, he was crying one night because it's sharing his heart about how little he knew from the Word of God. And I'm this guy is brilliant. He's crying, but he doesn't know enough. Taught and will never know it. And it wasn't so much what I learned about Romans, even though I learned a lot, is I learned an attitude that I never enough the Word of God. Because if I'm going to be what God wants, that has to be my mentality. I have fallen in love, not just Jesus and the emotion of being saved. That's important. I don't discount that. But emotions rise and fall, don't they? And when you read the Bible, literally, the God of the universe made you, saved you, and will welcome you as a child one day to heaven. It's to you. You read the Bible. That's why you should have devotional time. It's you and God. You should also have time where you're learning depths of the Bible. Don't be satisfied. Never be satisfied. And again, I'm not talking about necessarily coming to Randy's class or, or a home group. That's, yes, that's available, and that's part of it. But there are many ways you can learn the Word of God. Reliable, teach great source, and things read. Thing you can you can follow along and study for yourself. I've never been to seminary. I've never been in a class other than like Dr. Crichton's Bible studies. But somehow I've learned a little bit of the Bible. Why? I want it. To this day, a day doesn't go by that I don't try to learn. Favorite saying in life is, "You stop learning, you die." I want to learn, and I want to learn more about Jesus because if I learn and I apply what I learn. It'll change. How do I know that? Because the Bible says the living word of God. God. Sharp God. I'll be right. Sharper than a two-edged sword. Divide a soul from a spirit. Mentally try to grasp it. Dividing soul from a spirit. The Bible can because it's out of the universe. Now let's let him Hebrews 6 1. Number one, your goal is you want to be faithful. Then you want to mature. How am I going to achieve my goal? Number one, you've got to see what your goal is. You've got to see what your goal is. Hebrews 6 1, what's the first word? Everybody together. Therefore. 
Anytime you see the word therefore, you're going to look back and see what it's there for. You want to see your goal. Therefore, look back at chapter 5, verse 12, and let's get to therefore. Chapter 5, verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again. You ought to circle that word or write it on the person next to you. Something. The word again. You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. You have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Look at verse 12 again. You need to see your goal. What he's saying to them, you're still having to learn the ABCs of Christianity. By now, you ought to be teaching others. You're still having to learn them again, again. By this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the first principles, the very elementary thing, and the oracles of God. And the term oracles here, the way it's used, and again, he's writing to Jewish believers, is referring back to the simplicity of the Old Testament and scriptures. You're having to go over those again and again and again. And it should not be that way. In other words, you need to get to the point, okay, I got this one, now I need to move on to this one, and not have to keep going over this one every single week. You know, there are churches in this city, and I guess all over our country, and maybe the world, that every Sunday, the pastor stands in the pulpit and preaches on, you ought to get saved. Now, should people get saved? You don't have to, should people get saved? Yes. If I have you raise your hand, how many of you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Go ahead, he can raise your hand. So should every Sunday I have to, to say to you, you need to get saved? Now, are there people that possibly in any audience would get saved? Of course. But if you're born again already, then my job as your pastor and your shepherd and your leader is to what? Challenge you to move on. Not to get saved again every week. Because if you're saved, you, you don't need to get saved again every week. You got that one. If you're not saved, you need to get saved. And then you need to find out, what am I supposed to do now that I am saved? I've given my life to Christ. I need to move on. But Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, that's all some people hear. So that's all they get. And if they're not in another intense Bible study somewhere else, that's all they're getting. Jesus said in the Great Commission, do what? Go into all the world and have people pray the sinner's prayer? Is that what he said? No. He said, you go into all the world and you make disciples, teaching them what I have taught you. You think that's the only thing Jesus taught them? In Luke 24, on the Emmaus Road, it says he took those two guys. This was after the, the uh, crucifixion and the resur- after the resurrection, resurrection prior to the ascension. He took those two guys and he took them to the Old Testament on the Emmaus Road and he showed them every place in the Old Testament that was talking about him. Ooh, that'd be a great Bible study, wouldn't it? So Jesus said, now, what I expect from you, and by the way, that commission's not changed. He said, you are to go into all the world, and you are to make learner followers of me. That's what a disciple is, a learner follower of Jesus Christ. And if all I know is that Jesus died, and I'm not pleased, I'm not trivializing salvation. Without that, we have nothing. If all I talk about is Jesus died on the cross, and I'm talking to believers, he gave his life, you might go to heaven when you die. It's not enough. It's not enough. Why? Because when you go to share, share your faith, if that's all you know, and somebody asks you a hard question like, where did Cain get his wife? You're going to say, I don't know. And you know what? There's some things nobody knows, but there are more important things. You do need to You have to grow. You should not have to be going over week after week after week, same elementary thing. You need to move on because... What's the commission on your life as a Christian? To make learner followers. You can't make a learner follower if you ain't a learner follower. They quote me on. You have to grow. If you don't grow, you can't teach someone else. 
That's why I can never, and I'm talking about Randy Lachlan, I can never satisfied with where I am. My goals, I need to see it, I need it's to mature, and I'm never going to be satisfied. I gotta get past the elementary principle. The picture here, talk about the contrast. What does a baby eat when it's a baby? Milk, pablum, baby food. Now let's take the 25-year-old guy and all he's eating is Gerber's baby food. What are you thinking? All those little meat sticks. Now that was disgusting. You don't eat the same food as an adult you ate as a baby, right? I love the metaphor scripture. And God is saying, if all you're doing is drinking milk all the time, you're not going to grow. You need to be eating meat by now or solid food. Don't be satisfied with milk. And don't cop out and say, well, I'm just, I don't, I don't know. Okay, if you don't know, go find the answer. You need to be different. It's not just church. So I talk about the, it's not the machine of church. It's who am I as a believer? What is it God wants from me and from us? We don't want to be just like, like every other church. We want to be one that not only stands for the word of God, but you know good and well when you come here, you're going to learn it if you want to. A great pastor taught me a tremendous lesson in his own video. He said, my job is to set the table. I can't eat. It's coming upon me that every week when I stand here to make sure you're hearing God's word, but I can't. I eat enough for me. I'm fat for God. You got to decide you're going to be fat for God. I can't do that part for you. You think Jesus loved Judas Iscariot? You think it killed Jesus to know Judas' heart and that he was rejecting? Jesus' own brother, James, reject Jesus as the Messiah until after the resurrection. His own brother, he hard, wouldn't he? But did Jesus love him anyway? Did he teach Judas anyway? Yes, but he couldn't make him. He couldn't make him. Judas had to make his own decision. Look at the idea there back at chapter 5, verse 12. Excuse me, verse 13. Everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. The idea there of unskilled in the word of righteousness is this. Because you're still a baby and you're not growing, you can't, you're not skilled enough to do what you need to do. Babies can't do what adults can do. So if you're going to be maturing for Christ, you have to grow so that you are capable of doing what you need to do. Sharing your faith, articulating your faith. Doesn't mean you necessarily, you may not have one of the, one of the speaking gifts. So does that mean you should not talk about your faith? People use that cop out. I had a missionary who worked for a missionary tell me that one time. He said, well, I'm not good speaking, so I, I don't ever talk about my faith. No, that's not good enough. I don't have the gift of, um, we'll use giving as an example. I don't have the spiritual gift of giving. So does that mean I don't have to give? I wish it did because I could that be good. No, I, I don't have that gift, but I'm still required, commanded to give. Every believer needs to have the capacity to share your faith. It may just be with your own family or somebody you work with, a neighbor, somebody you're comfortable talking with, but at the same time, you need to have that capacity. And if you're only eating milk, you're not going to have it. Now, verse 14, the other thing as a baby. Solid food belongs to those who are full age, maturing, or those who by reason of use, notice this, this picture, who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. This is really important. He's saying if you're a baby, or when you're a baby, you haven't learned yet because you haven't had the time and you haven't used your senses enough to be able to discern good from evil. Does an infant know right from wrong? No. And he's saying here, because you're immature spiritually, you haven't used your senses enough to be able to discern good from evil. So here's what happens. Whoever the next guy that blows into town or on TV or on the internet or, or whose blog is incredible, you think it's the greatest thing since sliced bread? You don't know the difference because you don't know the word. You hear this guy speak or you read his book or everybody else is reading it. You think it's the greatest thing I, I've ever seen. And in reality, he's a false teacher. They are all over our country. 
And so you follow a personality or you follow a trend or you think this is the latest thing and you fly to this and you fly to this. The Bible uses the term you're carried about with every wind of doctrine. Whatever the prevailing wind that blows through, you just jump, you're carried right along with it. Why? Notice the term it's used, verse 14, because you haven't used your senses enough. In other words, you, you haven't worked out enough. You haven't exercised them enough to know the difference. You can't discern good from evil because you're not growing, you're not mature. How do you learn to discern good from evil? As you get into the Word of God. You find out what the Bible says. So when somebody says something that's not biblical, you go, whoa, wait a minute, that's not right. That's not what the Bible says. And you know to stay away from that. But you're not going to know if you don't grow. You're not going to know if you're not in the Word of God. You're not going to have discernment if you're not working out. How do you work out? By getting the Word of God into you and applying it and letting it change and never, never being satisfied. So whether it's doctrinally or emotionally, based on personalities, you don't have critical thinking because you don't know what the Word says. On your outline, look at 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if, anyone, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. There's three, three quick things I want you to see about this verse. Number one, you need to see what your position is. Your position is you are in Christ, and you are a new creation. If any man is in Christ, you are born again, you are a Christian, you are a new creation. Your perspective, therefore, is old things have passed away and all things have become new. That's your perspective on life. Here's my position. I'm a Christian. I'm in Christ. I'm a new creation. Therefore, my perspective is old things have passed away. All things have become new. And the Greek term there, all things have become new, means I see things in a way I've never seen them before. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but just a couple of examples. What he's saying is, is that when you're born again, you're declared righteous. That's your position in Christ. You're in Christ. You're a new creation. Same body, same mind, same emotions, same will, same personality, but now you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Now you're a child of God, and your perspective is you've suddenly been given a new set of eyes, and the eyes are through the Word of God, through the Holy Spirit, through the person of Jesus Christ. For example, it should change your relationships. Again, I got saved at age 16. God indwells me. The Holy Spirit is there. And so I ought to, as I begin to learn and I grow, and the Holy Spirit prompts and I'm taught, I treat people differently. When you're a non-believer, the way you look at people is, how can I use them? When you're a Christian, the way you look at people is, how can I serve them? Jesus said, I came serve to die. That's what I die, self, serve you. A whole new perspective on life. New eyes. You look at everything differently. Love suddenly means something different than it did before. It's not about me anymore. It's not about reciprocation. It's about what can I do for you? You look at your money totally different. Oh, wait a minute, dog. As I grow, I suddenly learn it's not my money. It's God. He's giving it to me to manage for him. That's a totally different perspective than most people have, isn't it? That it's not mine, it's God's. And he expects me to use it to glorify him. My talent. My daughter was up here singing, and people like Beth, and people like Peter, all these people that are up here, I envy their talent in a good way. They use it for the kingdom. That's the proper way. But I also know people who have incredible singing. I have a son who has a magnificent voice. He's not using king to wear. That bothers me. Now, I love my son, but God didn't give him that voice for Andy, for God. Somewhere. I'm not saying he's got to do it in my church, but somewhere it's used for the kingdom of God. That's why you were given that. I was given these good looks. Okay, maybe not. But my sense of humor, I love to laugh at myself. 
Always have. But I, I know in one way it's a defense mechanism, but God has allowed me to use that as a means of communicating truth, self-deprecating humor. I'm glad. I won't put the laugh because they can relax as I eat you. And then I can hear my heart, your talent, your money. New eye, totally different perspective. And then the third thing from that, from that verse is you get a new passion, which sums it up. You get a new passion. And your passion is, what does Jesus want? How can I share? What would he do? How can Randy fit in God's economy? Because I don't know how long I have on the planet. But as long as it is, I want it to be for him, not new passion. Your goal, sure. Secondly, you see your goal, then you surrender to it. Real simple. Back to 6.1, Hebrews 6.1. All of that was just the word therefore. That's pretty good, isn't it? Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, you say, okay, I know my goal. I want to mature. And the way I surrender that goal and say, okay, this is now my goal, is I'm going to leave the discussion of the elementary principles behind. I'm not going over the ABCs anymore. I'm going to get those down, and I'm going to move on. I'm not spend all my time on the ABC. Notice how he puts it at the end of verse 1. Let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptism, plural, of laying on of hands, of resurrection from the dead, and of eternal judgments. So he says, let's leave the elementary principles behind, and then he kind of gives you what those are. Not laying again the foundation of repentance and faith. In other words, if you're a Christian, we should not have to talk, as we mentioned a moment ago, every week about repenting of your sins, getting saved, repent, faith, repentance, faith. Yes, you live by faith, but every, you should not have to be talking about getting saved every single time we get together. You ought to have that one down. And if you're not born again, yeah, we need to talk about it. But if you are, leave that one behind. I love the picture. That's your past. But then the next thing he talks about, the doctrine of baptisms. And this is not bab- like we're talking about here, you get baptized and get saved. This is the idea of washing. So these people are Jewish, and they did a lot of ceremonial cleansing and washing. Baptisms, washings for this, washing, washings for that, washing for this sacrifice, washing for that sacrifice. And, that, and then he says the doctrine of laying on of hands, the idea of blessing someone. The great picture here is, please don't miss it. He's saying, all right, let's leave behind the ABCs about getting saved. And then let's leave behind the ABCs of talking about the rituals that go on at church. Baptism for this, a washing for this, a washing for that, a blessing for this, a blessing for that. How many people, and I heard Beth, I think it was Beth, somebody else talking about this, but in the city of Memphis, how many churches do you think there are? I think there are more than there are houses. There are churches everywhere. People move here from out of town, they're like blown away by how many churches there are and how everybody's first question is what? Where are you going to church? And how many times do we as Christians, whether it's this church or other churches or the church in general, we spend our time fighting with each other over what? How do you do this? Why do you dress like that? Why do you look like that? Why do you do this? Why do you do that? How come you don't take communion every week? You know you can't be born again and not take communion every week. You mean you actually, you immerse people and you don't sprinkle them or you pour them and you don't sprinkle them? What's wrong with you? And the non-believing world looks at that and says what? I don't need that. I can fight at home. I can fight at work. I can fight at the golf course. I can fight anywhere. So many times as Christians, that's what he's talking. We're not, let's get, let's leave behind the, the washings. Let's quit arguing about the rich of church. You mean you don't have hymnals? You don't have pews? You don't have candles? Come on. He's saying, that's that stuff behind. The past, the things in the present that are holding you back, get past. But notice the other thing he says, the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. He says, quit worrying so much about the future things that are settled and let's just grow. Is it a pre-trib rapture, a post-trib rapture? Is it a mid-trib rapture? Is it no rapture at all? The second coming and the rapture, same event. What is Armageddon? Don't you believe Jesus is coming back any day? You study, you learn what you can. Let the Bible say what it says. And the things we don't know, we don't know. We don't need to spend all our time fighting about things that we don't know. We need to grow, mature. We need to understand it's about sharing Christ, making learner followers, we disciple them. 
not arguing, focusing on shadows, focus on the substance. First Peter 1, it's on your outline. Gird up the loins of your mind. Great picture, getting ready for battle. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. Rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Focus on being separate under God and being like Jesus Christ. How does that begin? By girding up the loins of your mind. Again, growth, maturity, getting into the word of God. Then the third point is strive toward your goal. Back to Hebrews 6.1, it says, let us go on. And the Hebrew move there is let us be carried on. In other words, let God mature you. Get into his word and let learn it and let God carry you on to maturity. Philippians 3, Paul writes, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. You notice who's writing this, by the way. This is the Apostle Paul, who at this point was the leader of the church. And at this point, when he writes these words, he's waiting to die. He expects to die at any moment. And he says, I have not arrived. See that? That's the attitude of which I hadn't gotten it, but I press on. I have not apprehended but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Have you ever been around a Christian or somebody who claims to be a Christian and all they want to talk about is things that have happened in the past and how down they are because of what's happened in the past? To be honest with you, I've, I've struggled with some things just lately, but I'm not going to let the past dictate how I live my Christian. cannot. Christians not live past. We live in the moment to mature so that in the future we'll be more effective for the kingdom. Because he was expecting to die and he's writing to them to be joyful in their circumstance. What a great picture. So God says to Randy, forget it and press on. You might be dead tomorrow, Randy. Forget the past, press on. Because you don't know how many on you got. Press on. Quit hanging on to the past. And finally, stick to your goal. Press on to what? Go on to what? Let us go on to perfection. The best translation in Greek is maturity. That's your goal. Second Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy, and this is the last thing Paul wrote before he died. Timothy was his son in the faith. He passed the baton. He writes to them, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him till that day. Timothy, he's able. I, Paul, will not be here. I will be dead. I will be with Jesus. But he is able. 100 years from now, how many of us will be here? None. But if Jesus hasn't come back, will he have a church? Yes, he promised would. The gates of hell will not prevail. It's my church. It'll be here. So it's our job. Prepare that gym, the next generation, the next year to be ready. Not to get hung up and fighting and arguing and worrying about the things we can't do anything about. And to move past the ABCs. I'll give you one last example and then we're going to pray. I'm going to read you a quote. So everybody focus. You ready? Here's a quote. The last days are upon us. Weigh carefully the times. Look for him who is above all time, eternal and invisible. You have anybody idea who said that? Do you have any idea when it was said? Hang with me. I'll read you another quote. There's no doubt that the Antichrist has already been born. Firmly established in his early years, he will, after reaching maturity, achieve supreme power. End quote. Who said that? I remember in the 1970s, but we're convinced Henry Kissinger was the Antichrist. Then it was Gorbachev, Antichrist. Now it's some other. The two quotes I just read to you, one was from 110 A.D. 110 A.D., 100 years after Christ, convinced and was upon us. If you read the Bible closely, they believed was coming back in their lifetime. The second quote about the Antichrist was from a leader named Martin, Christian leader, in 375 A.D. 
A church leader in 236 A.D. named Hippolytus predicted that Christ was to return by 500 A.D. Between 999 and 1030 A.D., there was excessive speculation about Christ coming among Christians, so much so that it led to social chaos. Farmers did not plant crops, buildings weren't repaired, and the details of daily life were neglected because Christ was coming in their lifetime. How many remember 1999, the fall of 1999? It's Y2K approach. There were people literally in the name of Jesus ripping folk off. People saying we'd all just cluster, move up the mountain, hoard water, whatever you don't give water to anybody at Christ-like. Y2K, that's it. There's a book written in 1988 called 88, Way, 88 Reasons Jesus Christ is Coming Back in 1988. He didn't make it. Just our, in our own, just past year, you saw the bulletin boards going down 40. It said what? Jesus is coming back in May and he's coming back in October. Didn't make it, did he? The Jehovah's Witnesses on a number of occasions that predict the end of the world, they've had to go back and change their own publications because it didn't happen. On and on. In the 1500s, the great Protestant reformer Martin Luther said, We have reached the time of the white horse of the apocalypse. The world will not last any longer than another hundred. And there are many others that I did not read. Harold Camping was our buddy from. Was it this year he predicted that would happen or was it make any difference? What's the point? What do we know from the Bible? Jesus is coming back. Do we know when he's coming back? The answer is no. So when someone tells you they know for sure Jesus is, is when Jesus is coming back, what do you know? They don't know what they're talking about. Jesus Christ himself said, I don't know when I'm coming back. Only the Father knows to make the point. So is it worth our setting date? No, that's wrong. What does God want us to focus on? Maturing and being real in the moment. And if Jesus comes back, we benefit anyway, don't we? Because we go home. So don't worry about it. But it's really important to mature because that's our goal. You bow your heads. Father, as we close today, we simply thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for truth. We thank you for the word of God. I pray we would have a goal individually and as Christ's church. We would have a goal. That's to mature, not to be satisfied with immaturity, not to be satisfied that I'm saved and I'm going to heaven one day. It's not enough that I would mature, that I would grow, that we would mature, that we would grow so we'd be different. So we would, we would challenge ourselves to be an effective witness for Christ, making disciple, learner, follower. So Lord, as we close out today and as we sing, as we pray, I pray that individually as Christians, we would look at our lives and say, am I satisfied? If I'm satisfied, that's wrong. Am I growing? If I'm not growing, what do I need to do? That we would have a, a commitment to mature, to grow. And Father, if there's someone here who's not saved, yes, they need the AB. Repent and by faith trust Christ saved. What a great day for that to happen. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand.